I was playing around with the title Hiot, H-I-O-T. Is that how you say it? Hiot? Hiot? It's like a... It's like a car? Yeah, or like a, um, you know, I prefer to stay at the Hiot. Welcome to Touchpoint, a podcast dedicated to discussions on digital marketing and digital patient engagement strategies for hospitals, health systems, and physician practices. In this podcast, we'll dive deep into a variety of topics on digital tools, solutions, strategies, and processes that are impacting our industry today. And that, of course, was Jordan Howard that you've heard the last couple of weeks reading the intro for Touchpoint, and we appreciate her and appreciate her willingness to do that. Again, if, if you have an interest in reading any of our intros to different segments, intro to the podcast, etc., let us know. We'll be happy to let you do that. I am Reed Smith and joined, as always, by Chris Boyer. Chris, a digital strategist for hospitals and healthcare organizations around the country. You can track him down online at ChristopherBoyer.com or at Chris Boyer on all the social channels. And yeah, here we are. How's it going, man? Pretty good. That's Reed Smith on the other side of the microphone. He's also a digital strategist and social media expert. You can find him on his website, socialhealthinstitute.com. Check him out on all the social platforms with his handle at Reed Smith. And he's also a co-host of a very fun podcast that comes out weekly. Oh, I guess you might know that since you're listening in already. I'm trying to introduce one new thing about you every week, Reed. So Mm. I think today what I'll say is you started painting at an early age, eight years old, and you were doing oil painting. As best I can remember. It was oil painting, and it was somewhere around eight years old. The oil painting part is is 100% true. Eight years old, I'm pretty sure is correct. I kind of forget. Eight or nine, maybe, something like that. An artist and uh, social media enthusiast. So there you go. Welcome to the podcast. And if people listening would like to commission me, then maybe I can quit doing this ridiculous healthcare stuff. This episode of the Touchpoint Podcast is sponsored by Loyal. Loyal's AI-driven platform provides health systems with the tools needed to amplify patient feedback and guide patients through their digital journey. For more information, please visit LoyalHealth.com. All right, so here we are, uh, episode 42, talking about a topic today that is probably still a little bit on the horizon for folks, especially in healthcare, probably not as much in their daily life because of the way we use technology now. This is probably a little closer than you realize. Oh, I think it's definitely in our daily lives now. This whole concept of the Internet of Things, it's almost sounding like an outdated concept. But it is relatively new in terms of wide-scale adoption in certain industries. Mm. Other industries, it's there already. The Internet of Things is certainly something that's here and here to stay. It's ever-evolving as the technology evolves, I guess. But as a subject, I think we'll start hearing more and more about that and really how it, how it impacts hospitals. Kick us off, as we always do, we're, we're going to go to the intrawebs and uh, look for a definition. From Webopedia, the Internet of Things refers to the ever-growing network of physical objects that feature an IP address that allow it to connect to the Internet. The communication then occurs between these objects and other Internet-enabled devices and systems. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So we've talked a little bit about this indirectly, or maybe directly, but not calling it this, when we talked about some of the voice-first technology, whatever episode that was, you know, a few back. Uh, when we were talking about like the Alexa and Google Home devices and things like And we talked about wearables. This definition of the Internet of Things is expanding. Some people define your, your phone as being one of those 
Internet sure. of Thing devices. What's interesting about that definition, Reed, is something that I think underscores the importance of this concept and also underscores some of the challenges of an adoption of this concept in healthcare specifically. And that's one of connectivity, and the second is around communication. So yeah. we've talked about that those two things in this podcast before when it comes to healthcare. We're not really good at that. No. No, not especially not the connectivity part and probably spotty at best on the communication side. And so, again, to kind of round this out so people can visualize this, right, I started thinking about, you know, what does this look like just in your daily life? And so you mentioned smartphone, but another very popular one, obviously, is the Nest brand of products. So you have thermostats, cameras, not from Nest, but in my house, I've got a fan that's internet connected or whatever, and I can control it through an app on my phone. Security systems, lighting, or, or some of the little plugs, you know, that you can plug in and like turn on and off. And so, you know, we, we've started using this stuff in our daily life, but we haven't really extended this to like, okay, well, what does this mean for hospitals? And I think it's harder because of the connectivity and communication piece. We've got these big pieces and systems and verticals even within the hospital that just don't talk to each other very well. We even alluded to the fact that they might be incented to be interoperable or connected in in that these silos are Mm -hmm. maybe a systemic part of the way we run our business but also there's no incentive really to get us to become more open in terms of our communications but we'll we'll talk through healthcare iot internet of things today and we'll talk about some use cases that we're starting to see we have an interview later with uh, someone from the Mayo Clinic, Stephanie Ayers. They just launched their first aid kit on Alexa, which is an Alexa skill. We'll talk about that. Circling back to this whole concept of the Internet of Things, I think sometimes we almost put too much value into the concept, so much so that we start to talk about the concept in a, in a higher-than-it-is kind of way. Obviously, we have more electronic devices in our lives mm-hmm. obviously the internet is a great way to connect to many of these devices you talked about like you know your thermostat and everything else but it makes sense that everything that's coming out from here on out will probably have some kind of internet connectivity just because it provides value to that technology device be it you know phones be it computers be it refrigerators you know whatever technology whatever device it might be in your house So when we talk about it, Reed, some people, uh, particularly some people have done some research around this concept of what's the value we're getting out of the Internet of Things. So just off the top of my head, right, if you think about why would you want to go down this path? Mm -hmm. And so you start thinking about things like efficiency, for example. Mm -hmm. There's value creation depending on what the end goal is or kind of what we're talking about from a technology standpoint, then obviously... You're going to have different value propositions. It's one of those things where it's like, I mean, if you take the if you take the thermostat for example, and you live in a really super small space, is there value there for you not to have to stand up to change (laughs) to change the temperature in your house? I I don't know, but maybe the value is is related around the fact that you can have on a schedule be more efficient and your bills cheaper. That's actually a really good way to think of it, right? And in terms of what what the value creation and the value capture of these devices is really focused on that. A lot of times people do create these devices for those reasons. One for convenience. Another though for optimization to ensure mm-hmm. that it's aware of itself and it turns on and off as appropriate, you know, when you're not using it 
It right. was a great way to save power, that sort of thing. What's interesting, though, in Internet of Things is that the platform itself lends itself to become a little bit more open in terms of the value it can create, the potential of that. Now you have everything that's connected to the internet. And sure, using your phone to control things is interesting, but what if some of these internet controlled devices start to communicate together or you could create a common connection between them? Ways that we're not even thinking about today, the potential of this market is pretty significant. Who would have thought that now you could swallow pills that have things inside of it that allow you to monitor your health But that makes a lot of sense now, and that's sort of an evolving role of the Internet of Things. Well, I think what's interesting, and we'll we'll post a a link to this particular article from uh, Deloitte, but they talk about it in the stages uh, of information value creation. And so there's different stages, and I guess there's value at those stages. You think through what this may look like. And so from creation to communication to aggregation, then the ability to analyze and act. Mm -hmm. So these different stages, I think, lend itself to, and I think they use an an example in here about putting like a sensor in a tennis racket. You know, it can let you know when you're off center and allow you to improve the functionality of like how you play tennis. You're getting feedback, you're, you're able to analyze what's happening and then allow you to maintain, change, improve. And that really is a really specific use case of how it can actually be used. But then could you imagine as it starts to collect more data that potentially that can lend to other applications of that data as it becomes much mm-hmm. more sophisticated. Mm-hmm. And once we start to introduce smart clothing or whatever you know we we talked about this before when we're discussing having a uniform on a football player that reports back information to help optimize their playing and then potentially that can have an impact on their insurance costs because now everybody knows everything about them right you know so through this very process you're creating a lot more data than currently exists and so who owns that data where does it go how long does it stay there that kind of goes back to that very point Let's make this a little bit more specific now. Instead of talking about just Internet of Things, let's talk about healthcare Internet of Things, or HIOT, or what should we call it? Hyatt? Hyatt? I'm sure, I think Hyatt may be taking. They don't trademark the sound. They just trademark the name. Is that how that works? Or how does... I don't know. If anybody's an attorney, let us know on that before we start saying it like this all the time. So these three areas of focus really that we're seeing where healthcare IoT is being developed for now, at this point in time. Sure. Of course, there could be other applications in the future. The first is many of them started out focusing on improving care. And a lot of that is around remote monitoring, telemonitoring tools. You know, we've heard about blood glucose monitors that are part of your iPhone. We've heard of EKGs, you know, a variety of different applications that are around monitoring, remote monitoring, telemonitoring through devices. So is that where like telemedicine would fall? It's kind of in that category to some extent? To a certain extent. Telemedicine is more of a the piping to get to talk to another person in a sure. remote sense, right? But, mm-hmm. you know, this is more of like monitoring, keeping track of things and being able to report back on those things and being able to share information that way. So the second area where, you know, what we're talking about there is actually tracking, monitoring, maintenance of assets. Historically, this has been kind of an RFID piece. You know, you start going to conferences and people can scan your badge without having to put your business card in the fishbowl at their booth. 
It's an easier way for them to keep up with like who stopped by the booth. And so this is kind of along those lines, but what I guess what I'm thinking about relative to like telehealth is currently it's, you know, how does the nurse at your school when a kid is sick, able to talk to a physician or a mid-level or whatever and do that visit or somebody that lives in a rural area or whatever, right? But I'm thinking telemedicine, even including, like you mentioned earlier, the pill that's trackable. Telemedicine, even though it may not be two people on Skype, you know, or Skype-like conversations, a physician is still monitoring and tracking through Hyatt as time goes, I guess. And so I think I think telemedicine is going to become less about two people talking over the internet, and it's going to start at least including a lot of these other pieces like tracking and monitoring. Sure. And, and we've been doing this for a while. We just haven't been doing it with humans, per se. You've heard about, you know, implanting RFID chips into dogs and cats, you know, to keep track of them. And it has, and it emits a signal. That's been being done for years. I'm not suggesting that we do that with our kids. But when you're a physician and you're wanting to track a particular type of disease state inside, it might make sense to swallow a remote sensor and be able to pick up that information rather than cutting a person open to get to that area. That might be a less obtrusive way to get information. And so we're talking about a lot of different networks here. And so at some point, we're going to have to streamline customized networks to really get to a place where any of this is feasible. These initiatives, one around care monitoring, the other one is around like asset monitoring where you're kind of measuring things, devices, whatever, with IoT and RFID. A third category in healthcare IT is something, we talked about this way back in our wearable versus technology medical device podcast, which is third-party companies that are doing healthcare-related devices. So your Mm. Fitbits your Apple kit to be able to, you know, track your health, that sort of thing. They're providing a lot of wellness and health information. So this is like where you're starting to see like a bath mat that will measure you as you come out of the shower to track your your weight. And to this point, most of that is a wellness focused initiative, I guess. And that's because of where it's coming from. It's coming from the commercial sector more times than not. I'm not saying that hospitals and health systems aren't spending a lot of time here. They are. But companies like Fitbit and Nike and all of these other companies that are sports and health wellness are really using their access to technology to start to provide that relevant information. You referred to like a map my ride functionality on your phone before that's coming from sports and medicine. What are some other areas that you see maybe um, that are in the space here for this health and wellness? Everything's a wearable, it seems like. So it kind of all falls underneath that category, whether it's an Apple Watch or, you know, some of these other smart watches, I guess, like that Samsung has and stuff like that. You see a few of the companies, is it Witherings or what's it? I don't remember what it's called, but it does like the scale. And then, then you have some stuff that I guess is technically wellness, but maybe even I would call sports focused. So I've seen a basketball that has an app you go play or shoot around or practice or whatever and then it'll give you your stats how many shots you made how many you missed but i'm sure there's probably some different programs in there or um, you know skills in there that you can practice you know and that kind of thing whether that be dribbling or shooting or what have you i don't know how it would measure passing necessarily but anyway i haven't looked at that close uh there's some golf related ones around the swing and you know, some of that kind of stuff. Wellness-like, but probably more sports-related. And then the Nike piece, where the, you used to have the deal that went in your shoe. I'm not even sure that's even a thing anymore. But now, 
you know, Nike has that as part of the Apple Watch. You can even get a specific Apple Watch that is a Nike branded version of that watch. So that becomes something. I've used Strava for a long time, which is a uh, kind of map my fitness competitor. Primarily started out in the cycling space, but you can do it with running and stuff like that. So it kind of maps where you went. There's some, you know, a leaderboard and, you know, some of that type of stuff. I've seen pillows now that have electronic devices in it Mm -hmm. so that it can actually track your sleeping patterns. And it can also communicate out to you by emitting noises, you know, white noise, that sort of thing. Refrigerators that scan the food by your barcodes. We're getting there. We don't have to categorize all of that. But the point is, a lot of this is not coming from within the hospital space. When we talk about healthcare IoT that comes from the hospital space, we could talk about the areas that they're really trying to focus the efforts that they're doing. A lot of times, hospitals or health systems or even pharmaceutical companies and health IT companies, they really try to focus in on on three major areas. The first is around patients, enhancing the clinical care of that patient, Mm -hmm. maybe improving the experience of that patient. So wayfinding is is part of that. And anything that's kind of preventative care. A good example of that would be the Alexa first aid skill that Mayo Clinic released, which we'll talk about later today. Secondly, physicians. You know, the value proposition there is, you know, how do I do my job more effectively, more efficiently? Improves care delivery, minimizes workflows, etc. Google Glass. I'm, I'm kidding, but but actually, I'm kind of not kidding. <laughs> that was actually one of the actual use cases for Google Glass that I thought, oh, well, that's that's actually useful, but it's actually a surgeon wearing Google Glass and has that surgery checklist through voice activation pull things up. And so if you start thinking about that and you go down the path of in the OR suite being able to converse with and or pull up information from you know pathology for example or labs or film so x-rays things like that again i know hospitals are doing this i know there's like different technologies that do this so i'm just thinking from a wearable standpoint that seemed to kind of actually make sense a third stakeholder is the actual hospital or health system what's the value to them and the value to them is by implementing some of these solutions it can help to reduce costs if you implement some kind of iot device in the care pathway it it actually can sometimes save on manpower your overhead costs it also improves the care because you have something that's always on that's always connected maybe a direct connection between the patient and that the care providers at the, mm-hmm. the hospital system, the health network, so to speak. And it also provides clinical and business insight. If done right, you could start to gather this data in a way for population health management or maybe chronic care management solutions because, quite honestly, that insight that you're gathering from these devices is m- much more in-depth than some of the things that you can capture just in that electronic medical record. Think how that would impact like shift change handoffs, especially the higher the acuity Well, it could just be as simple as the patient's asleep, but it could be that medically induced comas and things like that, it could seamlessly help with those handoffs between nurses and other care team members. I think overall, though, using Internet of Things and healthcare Internet of Things, or Hyatt as we're calling it now, it's designed to improve engagement between the patient, between the care provider, between the care system that's providing that care. It's really designed to help improve engagement among those. 
And that's why you're seeing a lot of them deploy user-centric e-business solutions in this model. Taking all the stakeholders into account, now let's move and maybe look at some of what, you know, the top use cases for, you know, the Internet of Things, but specifically to healthcare. We found actually a good article that we'll link to in the show notes about some good use cases. I want to cover two of them because I think they're really kind of interesting. And the first is actually maybe an extension of that wearable podcast that we recorded earlier because it's related to Dana Lewis. Yeah. Uh, if you remember, go. she was one of our interviewers. The mm-hmm. Open APS. And if you recall, Open APS, which is the Open Artificial Pancreas System, this is something that she and her husband hacked together and created. Dana is a type 1 diabetic, as am I, and she had a continuous glucose monitor system and her insulin pump. And what she did is she developed, they developed together, a data feed from that glucose monitor into their computer and software so that it actually creates basically an electronic pancreas. It gives her... 24-7 real-time monitoring and measurement of her diabetes and she has a lot of data and I follow her on her blog it's really interesting the impetus behind this is she talked about go back to that episode and listen to it she wanted to manage her her diabetes much more rigorously they realized that they could do this they developed it together and the great news about this is that now because of what she did Roche is starting to look at developing a similar system Hmm. and I hope that certainly she gets some kind of a kickback so to speak around this right you know one that i'll say in here of this list and again we'll, we'll post the article but there's uh and it's it's only in a 30 patient trial right now but it's a depression fighting apple watch app it captures both passive and active data and all that kind of good stuff and we'll see kind of where this goes the reason i point this particular one out is because i think it encompasses something really important which is the apple watch and not the apple watch in and of itself but just the fact that you know, we're not asking someone to do something else or to wear something else, I should say. This is going to become part of, and I think that's where a lot of this stuff falls down sometimes, is the adoption. If you can put this inside of something, smartphone, watch, you know, if it can do a lot of the heavy lifting without you having to get involved, then I think the ability to actually use it and garner good data and information and ultimately utilization out of it is going to be, it's going to be better. I think that's really cool. I have an Apple Watch, but I actually wear my Fitbit more than I wear my Apple Watch. Just to have something like that that's kind of always with me monitoring, mm-hmm. if that can be used to kind of help shift your, your mental state, I think that's yeah. really powerful to do. Well, I mean, I, you know, we've got, through work, health insurance, and that particular company gives us these pedometers to wear. And we can, like, you know, get, you know, a little bit of money back based on the fact that we wear these pedometers. The problem is you got to charge the pedometer you got to wear the pedometer and you have to plug the pedometer in to upload your data or sync it with your phone or whatever. And it's just like, I'm not incentivized enough to use it. You know, the amount of money I can get, so to speak, quarterly for wearing this thing is not really worth the effort to you know wear something else that normally I would not wear. Again, if they could figure out how to do it with an app on the Apple Watch, well, I already wear a watch. So I'm more likely to go down that path versus yeah. now I've got to wear, you know, it's like, well, I'm not wearing a belt. It's like, how am I, do I just put this on my, like, how am I going to keep this thing secure? Anyway, that, that's, I think, the problem with some of that. Although I do applaud them for doing something. It's all about reducing the friction, as you said, right? Right, right. So another use case that I really thought was pretty cool was a company, Alcon, part of Novartis, 
they actually found a really good use for Google Glass. They licensed the smart technology of the, of the lens, right? the smart lens technology, which has basically sensors, and they put them into contact lenses. The contact lenses are going to serve twofold, two different uh, medical use cases. The so first is helping diabetic patients manage their disease because it actually is a much better test of your blood sugar by the surface of your eye lens. I did not know that. Being a diabetic, I did not know that. But so now what it does is you wear these contact lenses. It can also tell you real time what your blood sugar is, right? Very interesting. Uh, The other use case is uh, people that have presbyopia, degenerative eye disease, and they can no longer read Hmm. without glasses. This lens now has the potential to allow vision correction in the contact lens itself and really start to associate too when objects are nearer or further. So this whole concept of progressive lenses, Mm. that becomes something that the actual contact can start to manage. That's a great example of one device that has serves two purposes. In the last one I'll point out, actually there's two of them that I'll kind of point out as one. Connected inhalers and ingestible sensors. The point with these both, I think, are really less about the diagnosis of you know, what you may be dealing with, but more about adherence. And so how do you make sure kids are using their inhaler if they have really bad allergies, for example? From an ingestible sensor standpoint, are they taking the medication they're supposed to be taking? So, you know, so much of readmissions, I think, probably drive back to the fact that people don't do what they're supposed to do. And this is one of those ways that, um, you know, potentially we go on a path that makes it a little more straightforward. Hey, we want to take a moment to thank one of our sponsors, and that's our good friends at Binary Fountain. You know, as a healthcare marketer, it's probably pretty obvious these days how much time you're spending uh, on reviews, ratings relative to hospitals, physicians, all that kind of good stuff. You know, too many of those are going unanswered, and they're certainly not being analyzed. This could be costing us new and current customers. It could be impacting our patient experience scores and potentially impacting our revenue. Luckily, our good friends at Binary Fountain have an online reputation management platform called Binary Health Analytics. If you'd like to learn more or even schedule a demo, visit them online at binaryfountain.com. That's binaryfountain.com. I think the potential for healthcare internet of thing technology, <laughs> Hyatt technology, mm-hmm. it's good. We're gonna we're gonna adapt it. It's gonna be there. Right. It is very significant, but there are a lot of challenges. And if you listen to our podcast, you know. Let's just cut in what we've said before about other technology. Any technology in healthcare kind of faces this. And That's so right. Let's let's go through the list here. There's. The lack of integration, particularly to the electronic health record or the EMR, right, the mm-hmm. electronic medical record, that is pretty significant. That's going to be a big one because, quite frankly, if there's clinical data in a healthcare setting, in a, in a provider setting, you want to integrate that as much as you can to that patient record because it tells a fuller story. And, uh, of course, the interoperability or just the fact that we're siloed you know, in different areas of healthcare. And so we're not jointly incentivized, uh, typically speaking, and until this makes sense uh, for everybody to start you know, rowing in the same direction, uh, it's going to be hard to make a lot of headway there. Particularly with that sort of that confluence of the external commercial market coming into the space and uh, users adopting to that much, much sooner. The other thing is, is that, okay, so now you got these great devices. Now they're tracking a lot, a lot of data, but those datas are being tracked in a silo sometimes. And that data alone may or may not be meaningful. 
the data sets of like, let's say tracking glucose is one thing, but how do you track if you get a, if you get a contact lens that knows when, when to shift the vision or shift the, the prescription on that lens, that's great data that you're gathering, but how do you apply that? How does that apply in the clinical setting? That data alone is not meaningful. And I don't think we've cracked yet on the data models for the entire, all the different things that we could start to track with Internet of Things. And this is always a huge tripping point as well. It should be a huge focus, but it's just the security of it all. So again, we're pulling down a lot of information and we're getting more and more detailed information about individuals, uh, their tendencies, what they do. So how do we make sure that that, that stays secure? Again, this is our, like our, you know, our top five list right here. Let's add one more to that. I guess our top six list now. Technology is evolving and changing so fast in this space. We don't know what the future internet of technology could be like. We don't know. I mean, we talked about clothes, basketballs, and all these other things. But what do you think, you know, five years from now, how much of our lives is going to be connected to the internet? How much data is being picked up on us? With that ever-evolving and changing technology set, you're suddenly dealing with a very complex model. Mm -hmm. And it makes it hard to develop. So, I mean, you're developing for what's now. Well, by the time you get done with your piece, like we don't need that anymore. We're, we're all over here now. It's kind of that Wayne Gretzky quote, which is, you know, I skate uh, not to where the puck is, but where it's going to be. Mm-hmm. You know, how do we meet at some convergence, you know, out in front of us versus get caught always behind the curve? The good news is that as hospitals and health systems, these are challenges that you know are being faced everywhere. And even the commercial side of the house, those technology disruptors that are coming into the space are dealing with the same technology challenges. And so we all have to solve this problem together. I think the value of healthcare internet of things or Hyatt, it outpaces all the challenges. And so I think that as we move forward, we'll start to see this become more and more adapted into our society. But maybe we could talk a little bit on our our little magic hats that let us see in the future, maybe our Google glasses that let us see in the future. Um, this is a great internet of tech, internet of things technology we should create, which is future seeing mm. devices. But anyway, um, let's do that, Reed, and let's talk a little bit about like where we see where we think or predict the future may be. Oh boy, we just live forever and don't get sick. <clears throat> is that what? <laughs> I, I guess we're becoming more and more connected. Obviously, to some degree, does that allow us to become more uh, predictable? Well, when you say predictable, immediately my mind went to insurance actuarians that actually track to see if we can, you know, determine how long people will live. Is that kind of what you mean? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think certainly the data sets and the technology and everything will be there for that. I mean, you can even look at now and make some predictions based on like search patterns on the Internet of where the flu is going to be next. I mean, just imagine... If we were connected individuals layered on top of that or that layered on top of connected individuals. So you could, in essence, predict not to go to the mall today because of some of this or to keep your kids home from school because this is happening or whatever. Imagine that. You'd have like Google Health be like a health predictor for where not to go so you don't get sick. You could even track that into flight patterns and planes and say, oh, someone's reporting that there's a bunch of people coughing on this plane. So we're just going to go ahead and cancel that flight. I'm going on the later flight. (laughs) 
the, this whole connected body, I think, is, is an important thing. I wonder if we're going to get more comfortable with uh, ingesting technology into our bodies. I wonder if that's the case, right? Right now we talk about you can swallow these pills, these data sensors that go into your body for a particular use case. You're trying to track a treatment, what have you. But what do you think about, you know, just like we do with our pets, that we embed RFID chips into us? Think that would happen? Can I skip the security line at the airport? <laughs> if so, it's like, what is it? What movies are those? Is that the Bourne movies where they've got the... Well, and then also James Bond. I think he had a thing like in his arm or something at one point. But anyway, it's like, yeah, just fire one in there if I can just like walk past the line. I think that's not a bad, I mean, you know, in that case, I, I wonder, you know, I wonder if in the future we're going to tag all transplanted organs, you know, so we can actually right. track to see or uh, your transplants. I'm sure someone somewhere is doing that. Where does that land on the privacy scale? Because now you're second guessing like everywhere you go. Because if people can track you, then it's like, man, this will be the second podcast in a row that I've mentioned Arby's. But like, if I want to go buy Arby's, like, do I second? I'm like, eh, curly fries, and then, you know, I could lie and say I didn't get the curly fries, I guess. But then again, you know, do you start just second guessing everything you do? Well, or second guessing, or actually being more thoughtful and purposeful about what you're doing. I don't know. If every time you ate curly fries and you're not only your doctor, but your wife found out about it, maybe that gets you to skip the curly fries this time around. Is that good behavior modification then? Will the Internet of Things help us shift our behaviors to be better? Um, no. <laughs> because I don't think... Same deal with all the other privacy breaches. It's not going to happen to me. Nobody's going to steal my identity. Mm-hmm. You know, which is the same attitude everybody has growing up. I don't need to wear a seatbelt. I don't need to. You, you, you go through all that stuff. You know, you're invincible when you're younger. You start getting older. That kind of goes away, but it kind of morphs into other thought processes, which is identity theft versus should I wear my seatbelt or not? You know, we, we just kind of change subject matter. I'm beginning to wonder if back when we were listing our six challenges of healthcare. Internet of Thing technology adoption that we forgot about privacy. That should be our top seven list now. I think that becomes a big, a big thing here. You know, as a person that suffers with a chronic disease, diabetes, and a person that's actually trying to be more conscientious about how healthy I am and being, I like to be aided by these devices. I'm not sure if I like to be over-aided or controlled or directed by these devices. Well, like one of our former experts, Doug Ullman, has said many times, uh, because he's a three-time cancer survivor, super rare form. Privacy is only a concern until the benefit outweighs that concern. If you have a chronic illness and you can do these things, hey, you do these steps. Everybody else that has this disease is also doing these steps. Maybe you learn something and it Uh, gets us quicker to a cure or better quality of life or a longer life or whatever it is. But does that mean we're going down the path of regulations? It's one of those questions that we we have to ask. There are probably some people out there in our audience that have been doing some really cool stuff around Hyatt that we would love to hear about. Definitely let us know. You know, obviously, if you're doing something really cool, uh, we, we could definitely interview you for a future episode of our podcast. But any last words or thoughts about 
healthcare in and of things or Hyatt? It's becoming uh, more synonymous with everything that we do every day. And so we may not even think about it or talk about it in these terms in which this is something in the future. You know, it's becoming more now every day. And the lines are blurring, just like we've talked about the lines are blurring between marketing and patient experience or marketing and quality or whatever. You know, this is kind of one of those same scenarios where, you know, all of a sudden the Internet of Things will just be things. Hey, Chris, before we go too much further, jump into this next segment of the podcast. I did want to uh, mention and thank uh, one of our sponsors, Influence Health. Uh, you know, they've got a consumer experience platform that, that covers several things. And correct me if I'm wrong, but we've we've talked about content management systems on this podcast. Yeah, we did. What about CRMs? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we covered CRMs for sure. And then obviously each and every week we talk about digital marketing. So digital marketing systems, uh, you know, in one way, shape or form have probably been covered, right? That's right. Digital marketing systems. And I would say that we even talk about it in a way of uh, that overall digital consumer experience. Well, there you go. I, you know, I would I would recommend for anybody interested in one of those topics uh, or anything else. They've also got some complimentary solutions on their website. But but head over to their website, take a look at what they've got and what they're offering relative to CMS, CRM, digital marketing systems. Kind of how all that is woven together in what they call their consumer experience platform. Find your way over to influencehealth.com. Hi, my name is Peter Gailey, and I'm with Broadcast Med, and I am happy to introduce to you the Touchpoint Counter Retouch Point Counterpoint Touch. Touchpoint Touch Counterpoint. There are two sides to every story. Ready? Fight! We are back to our segment that people still struggle with the name on. I don't, I don't know why. I mean, it's right there in the introduction, <laughs> the touch point, touch counterpoint. But okay, we'll leave it as it is. Today, we've been talking a lot about the Internet of Things or Hyatt, the healthcare Internet of Things. And we were talking about some of the, you know, the trends that we're seeing in this space. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that kept coming up is about Hyatt allows us to be more connected, connected with data around us, connected with information about ourselves, which purportedly has a value to our experience with health and how we are tracking and taking care of our health. The controversial topic today that we'll take counter sides on is the more connected we become through these Internet of Thing devices, mm-hmm. the less engaged we become. Do you agree with that statement or disagree? I agree. So I think there is a certain factor that we all have, which is the more that is done for us, the less we'll do for ourselves. Did I say that right? I think I did. My point being, the more we're connected, the less we actually have to then proactively provide or do. Or If I can get an app for my watch and then go walk through the store and anything I pick up that's not healthy, it just buzzes and I put it back down. I'm less likely to participate, so to speak, in, in my nutrition or health. You know, I'm just gonna allow technology to do that for me. So we just become less engaged, become less engaged in our health with each other, our health, our physicians, you know, whatever it may be. I I hear what you're saying in terms of that use case scenario that we become less engaged because we don't have to make an active choice. We're letting technology make that choice for us. But I think that on the flip side of that, particularly here in America, we tend to want to really own our decisions and we don't like 
this obtrusiveness of outside devices telling us what to do and what not to do, we want to take a more active role in our lives, right? You know, that old adage of, you know, don't don't take away my cigarettes. I'm in America. I could smoke if I want to kind of thing. Right. That's a deliberately bad example because, you know, it's a bad behavior, but there's a certain freedom to that. I don't think we as humans will become passive when technology starts to guide us down certain paths. I even notice that now. My car lets me know what the speed limit is. Does that mean I drive the speed limit? No, not necessarily. Don't tell the police around Minneapolis. It's not curtailing my behavior. I think that we're going to become more at least aware of the good or bad choices that we're making with our health care. And that subsequently lets us become more engaged. I don't know that we want to be more engaged. If we don't have the technology, we have to be engaged because how else do you know? But once we become more connected, I don't know how that gets us more engaged. Like, right, you know, you, you should go get an annual physical. Uh, maybe at a certain age. I don't know. I don't know what the... See, I don't even know. Like, I don't even know what I'm supposed to be doing. But at a certain <laughs> age, you go get a physical every year, right? There's all these tiers, and I think the idea is, is that we've got to engage in that process or we're not going to do it. I mean, I've seen this by how many times my Apple Watch tells me to stand up. And so now I'm like, how do I turn this off? <laughs> but I would argue that means that you're engaged and maybe in a negative way, but you're at least engaged <laughs> yeah, with that technology. Yeah. I'm engaged to turn it off. Exactly. And I just want to circle back. There are a lot of tears when you go in for your annual physical. I'm not so sure what that means. But anyway, I'll let that go. I think from your premise, uh, I'm wondering if you're thinking that we as people are less engaged with our health. And therefore, when technology starts to take control of our health a little bit more, that means we're going, thank goodness, we don't have to deal with this anymore. We can kind of fly through life now. Is that kind of what your premise is? Yeah. I mean, well, fly through life, it allows us to mentally check the box on that. So like, I don't have to pay attention to my health because other stuff is doing that. But that's a, a big difference between that and being engaged or not. I think that just by the mere fact that you're implementing some technology, like Dana Lewis creating her open APS, her artificial pancreas system, is a way for her to become more engaged with her health while taking away all the headache of the engagement. See, I think we're, you're confusing engagement with being an onerous task. If you can have an Apple Watch that will allow you to do your physical without even going into the doctor's office, would you like that? Yes, but you've still got to be engaged to an extent where uh, you're actively participating in that process. I guess what we're arguing here is active engagement versus passive engagement. And I agree with you that you have to do some kind of action if you're going through and the technology is constantly reminding you to put that beer down, but you still drink, that at a certain point you have to become engaged enough to say, look, I might become an alcoholic if I keep drinking this beer or at least get very fat. I would agree with you that there is some some engagement there, but I would say that just by having the more data, the more information through these Internet of Things technology that's now going to be strapped all over your body and in your clothes and in your shoes and maybe even inside your body, mm. that that gives you more ability to become engaged and it actually increases the engagement factor. Here's where I'll kind of land on this. I agree that I think, you know, you always hear from people that like, I don't know, they had a heart attack, let's say, and they almost died and now they're back home and they're recovering and you know everything's going to be okay. 
And you go, man, that's that's amazing. On Monday, you were fine. And then Tuesday, you know, you almost died. You know, and they go, yeah. But honestly, now looking back, there were these signs. So I can see how technology could go, hey, here are the signs. Because in a lot of cases, you don't know what the signs are because you have nothing to compare it to. You're just like, I'm getting old. I thought everybody's back hurt or side hurt or whatever. Technology or the internet things could potentially help you identify in a more proactive fashion or have help you take action before it's too late. I think the flip side of that, however, is guys don't go to the doctor. Okay, well, this is another way that they can go, oh, sweet. I'm going to put this watch on. I'll kind of check the box on that. And it allows me to now purposefully not think about it. This is one more way... You know, when somebody gets on to me, I can go, look, I, you know, I've got this watch. I'm doing, I'm good. I'm good. It's almost enabling in one sense, but yet it's enabling in another sense. So I think that's the weird line. I get what you mean. It's enabling, but it's also taking you out of being more active because it allows you to, you're, you're basically giving up the control to this other device to let it think for you. Mm-hmm. I still think that from the case of, of how you're describing it, though, even though those points of engagement may be not as active as you want it to be, just by the mere fact that you have now technology that can allow us to keep track of all of that, that becomes an engagement an engagement in your health. And I think Internet of Things is going to help us become more engaged with our health moving forward. All right, welcome back to the Ask the Experts section of the podcast. And today, it's not only we do we have an expert in the room, but Reed and I are both in the same room doing this interview. Yeah, we're, we're actually physically in the same location, maybe for the first time ever, at least for this segment. Today, we're pleased to have Stephanie with us today. Stephanie, why don't you introduce yourself to everybody? Sure. Well, thanks for having me. I'm honored. I'm even more honored knowing that this is the first time you've interviewed someone for this segment in the same room together. My name is Stephanie Ayers, and I'm I'm the Director of Marketing for Products and Services of Mayo Clinic. I'm based out of Rochester, Minnesota. What is your realm of responsibility? Global Business Solutions is a part of the Mayo Clinic that basically commercializes different products and services, either direct to consumer or through a B2B target. For example, employers may be getting products or services for their employees. So really like to think about as contributing to individual as well as population health and well-being. So I oversee with a team and a wonderful bunch of colleagues in other areas areas of marketing, we support global business solutions and try and get products and services to market as well as all of the kind of tried and true marketing speak efforts that you hear about with acquisition, retention, and then all the metrics that come with that. We're moving in some pretty interesting directions and I'm excited that we're here to talk about one of those. I'm really pleased and thrilled to get to work on components of what Mayo's doing given that I can't go into an operating room and save a life. Maybe I can help bring a little bit of healthcare into people's daily lives. Absolutely. And this one in particular, I think, does just that. And so I know we're going to talk about the Mayo Clinic first aid skill. So the Mayo Clinic first aid skill, it's really exciting for Mayo Clinic. Just to give you a little bit of background and context leading up to how we got into this space in the first place, Mayo Clinic, as you know, has been practicing clinical practice, research, and education for more than 150 years. And we have always been a big advocate, and it's always been part of our mission to get health education information, patient ed, into the marketplace. Back in the days 
before all the convenience of web, we published 30 some plus titles. We had newsletters, magazines, some that were consumer facing for non-medical professionals, some for medical professionals. But it is important for us to offer very credible evidence-based content to the general public, whether you're a patient or not. And so we just want to make sure that according to our mission, we're providing people with the most reliable health information and sometimes guidance. The Mayo Clinic First Aid skill, of course, is really designed to be targeting those scenarios where it's non-emergent situations and it's someone that may have what we would normally consider a first aid issue and get some guidance in a hands-free way to help resolve that on their own in the convenience of their home or their garden or their vehicle, wherever they need it at that moment. So how do people use the skill? So a common scenario may be, let's say you're a busy household, mom and dad at home after work, maybe you have a couple of children, maybe some younger, some smaller, doing your normal evening duties. You mentioned homework, you know, probably uh, one or two are focused on that. Another is focused on maybe dinner. Someone's maybe focused on some video games. Things happen. Common scenario, maybe let's uh, say somebody accidentally burns their hand. Maybe they touch an open flame. Maybe they touch a hot burn or something. Again, not a third degree, second degree, massive burn situation, but something where, you know, you have that ouch moment and you kind of recoil and you need something. Put ice on it for how long? Exactly. What do you do next? So with the convenience of the Amazon Alexa enabled devices um, with your voice leading. So let's say maybe you're attending to that child who may have just Mm -hmm. burned their hand. You You don't have time to jump online. Maybe the child's crying. You're trying to console them. So you're distracted and multitasking. Mm -hmm. It's just a new sensory engagement, right? You can just lead with your voice and ask Alexa, provided that you have the Mayo Clinic first aid skill enabled Mm -hmm. on your phone. Just ask her, Alexa, how do I treat a burn? And Alexa will come back with Mayo Clinic guidance around how you treat a burn. It's really great though, because you can go deeper. So for example, maybe you, you know, you're not familiar with burns. You're not a medical professional. You don't really know how to assist. Maybe there's a little bit of panic involved and some emotion in the moment. You could probe a little deeper with Alexa and ask Tell me more about a major burn. How do I treat a minor burn? And those nuances mm-hmm. uh, are some of the cool things that Mayo Clinic is leading with to get first in that space and be a little more innovative. So that's within the skill itself. Correct. So it, there's information. You ask one question, and then you can ask further follow-up question to get more refinement on that question. That's correct. As long as your follow-up questions pertain still to the to the first aid topic, mm-hmm. and that topic is obviously in our database with it's a quite extensive database with hundreds of first aid scenarios that we try and address. Mm -hmm. So that's correct. You could ask probing questions. That's very interesting because a lot of times when you think about like these skills, it's so new. It's such a new technology that it's like you ask it once and then you're done, right? The one and done approach. In Mm -hmm. this case, it seems like it gives you a little bit more nuance and that, that sounds surprisingly complex to create. Many of my colleagues worked very, very hard to bring mm-hmm. this to market, if you will, and I know it was not easy. Mm-hmm. It was about a four-month process from mm-hmm. start to finish. Of course, we have the luxury at Mayo Clinic of already having a lot of this content available yeah, sure. um, because we're such a big content publisher between mayoclinic.org, our literature, either in digital format or print format. We it really just took reinterpreting that content, putting your voice-first hat on, and try and anticipate 
anticipate the ways that people would want to use that content. So that's where a lot of the big body of work was invested. But it's really leaning upon decades and decades of tried and true clinical practice to say, here's what we know works if you have a burn or a mm-hmm. cut or mm-hmm. a bee sting, et cetera. So it's really helpful that you had the content there. It's just now piecing it together in an experience that's around what that potential consumer would use. I would imagine that from a marketing perspective, that poses a bit of a challenge because I don't think a lot of consumers realize that the skills can go that far, can be that deep. Yes, that is right. Um, because, you know, you're correct. You touched on the fact that a lot of them are sort of um, push out, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you ask Alexa something and it pushes you that content. I mean, mm-hmm. it's sort of that one way dialogue. This is a little bit different because you can engage and you can interact. And while it's not having a conversation, you can branch and ask relevant questions to give you more information if you don't feel you're getting exactly what you need. Mm-hmm. So how are you conveying that? It's almost like you have to educate your market. And it's not an easy effort. Just for context, this is Mayo Clinic's second skill, technically. Mm -hmm. We started with the Mayo Clinic News Flash Briefing, which is our news coming from our news network. And that was first. And I think that we got really excited about these types of opportunities and the direction in general of where things are headed with artificial intelligence and voice first. And so First Aid was the natural next body of content to create that allowed us to test into it without making overly significant investment without thinking that we'd get the right kind of return on it. And by return, I'm not talking monetary. We're not monetizing this skill at all. It really is designed for the benefit of the general public. So it is very complex. And from a marketing standpoint, it's exciting because I think we get to be ahead of the curve a little bit here. So certainly making it available in terms of announcing it on mayoclinic.org. We've got house email lists that we are building awareness to social media, really sort of an omni-channel approach to making sure that people start to understand that Mayo Clinic has this skill. The numbers so far are are proving exciting with a couple thousand new users uh, engaging every day. I guess that's probably one of the double-edged swords about being at Mayo is you do get to be first to market around all these things. Even the iOS apps back in the day when you saw them on stage at the Apple keynotes and Mm -hmm. in the iTunes store and stuff like that. So you're still somewhat waiting on the adoption curve for people to catch up. But I think that then kind of leads us down this path of once people start understanding how these voice-first devices work and what they can do in them and things like that. It then gives you a platform that you've already built that you can springboard and kind of continue to iterate. You know, where do you kind of see this going from here? It is sort of a wait and see with the adoption curves. But I think that you anyone would face that challenge when you're yeah. on the leading side Absolutely. of that edge. Yeah. So we are excited. We hope that the curve continues in the right direction. And yes, there are plans to introduce more things. Yeah in the future. Nothing specific to talk about today, but very excited about this space and really excited that Mayo Clinic can play in it and hopefully Mm -hmm. play in it in a really meaningful way. Part of that is, and you guys are extremely fortunate, that some of the hard part is the actual content. That you can take stuff that you've done and you've vetted and know it's good, know it works in other venues and now push it into this voice first is pretty interesting. It makes a lot of sense, that's for sure. Internally, how are the physicians responding to this? Are they 
excited about it, or are they still a little confused by it? I think they're excited about it. Those yeah. physicians that I've spoken with, they're really excited from a brand standpoint at where we're taking things and where things could potentially go. As you know, within the healthcare space and in medicine, e-consults and telemedicine and artificial intelligence, it, it's changing and it's changing by the minute. Mm-hmm. We want to be in a position at Mayo where we're contributing to perhaps shaping that future and not just being a follower. Very exciting time. I would also say that the physicians are excited about it because this is first aid. We are not instructing someone on how to do an open heart procedure, nor would that be a responsible thing to do. So Mm -hmm. for non-emergent situations, this is great. It only gives people a new connection to the Mayo Clinic Mm -hmm. brand. And again, you don't have to be an existing patient. Anybody can use this as Mm -hmm. long as your voice works um, (laughs) and you have access to the skill and to an Alexa-enabled device and hopefully maybe other platforms in the future. It's it's a really nice way to be able to engage with, with the Mayo Clinic experience. Yeah, I can see that for sure. So a lot of hospitals and health systems are really kind of exploring voice first and, you know, they may have been dabbling around and doing some things. Looking back, what are some tips or advice or ideas that you may give them about how they can actually start to develop something as sophisticated as this first aid skill? So one of the challenges in getting started is just, again, going back to the content and the content editing and putting on that voice first hat, marking up that content for speech synthesis. That really was the big challenge there. The other challenge that a lot of people I think will encounter is those anticipatory moments. So what, you know, a burn, a bee sting, a cut, a migraine, um, you just have to really get creative beyond maybe what your data is telling you. So we know from clinical practice, what are the most common conditions or symptoms that somebody may be experiencing and that data can guide us on what content to make available. But how do you think beyond that box? How do you anticipate those scenarios that you just never could have imagined? And so it's it's kind of that balance between the art and the science and making sure that you have appropriate content to address those situations. And in our case, it's mission critical in anything that we do to make sure our content is either authored by or edited or vetted by our practicing physicians because we want to make sure that everything we do is authentic and credible. So we've heard a lot from futurists that talk about, you know, people like us that are big thinkers and we think about where the future will be and we're already there and we're trying to drag everybody along with us. But you're actually within the hospital and actually doing these things. If you look into your crystal ball for the future, where do you think things are headed? Do you think voice is going to be the, the, the new, new way or, you know, what do you think? frontier. The, yeah. What's the future like for you? I think voice first is definitely here to stay. There are so many engagements and moments where I can picture that. It's so convenient. It's utilitarian, in hands-free moments, right? We are busy and we are all connected to our devices, be it your laptop, your iPad, your phone. And it's it's just another way to multitask and engage yet another sense in our five sense spectrum. I also think that artificial intelligence, I think AI, I think it'll be very, very interesting to see what's happening in the healthcare space in particular with regard to the developments and advancements there. Thank you so much. You're very I think welcome. This has been very, very interesting. 
I'm excited to see where you guys are going. You guys are always on the leading edge, redefining things for us here, and all the other hospitals are kind of looking at you guys as like, where's Mayo Clinic headed? Where, where's the future? So, Stephanie, if people want to find out more or learn more about you, what's the best way for them to do that? LinkedIn is a great way to learn more about me, Stephanie Ayers. And, and then if you want to learn more about the Mayo Clinic apps, again, the Mayo Clinic Flash Briefing, as well as Mayo Clinic First Aid, you can go to mayoclinic.org. And if you just want to punch in apps or voice within the search bar, you'll pull up the page where it goes a little deeper on both. But it's been my pleasure and it's been fun and certainly hope to come back and share more exciting news and developments with you guys in the future. Absolutely. Well, thanks again. We appreciate your time. Thank you. All right, here we are at the end of, what episode is this? 42. End of episode 42. Thank you all for hanging in there and listening. And uh, now it's time for some recommendations. But before we do, be sure that you go out, subscribe on iTunes, rate and review us. Be sure to tell a friend. Uh, We certainly uh, appreciate the support. What do you got for a recommendation today? Well, before we jump into the recommendations, Reed, I think it might be good to tell our audience, our listeners, we embedded two Easter eggs into this day's podcast. Let's let's run a little contest. If you get this far and you think you know what those little Easter eggs are, it's something in what we we have talked about or said. You know, hit us up on LinkedIn, Twitter, wherever. And see if you guys can guess. And for the first person that guesses, I don't know, they'll get a, a free subscription to our podcast for next year, I guess. <laughs> yeah, that's good. A couple of Easter eggs, business jargon. So see if you can find it. See if you can find the business jargon. Okay. Mm-hmm. I got a good recommendation. Reed, I am an Amazon Prime person. Are you an Amazon yes. Prime person? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. I mean, who isn't nowadays, right? right? And, you know, I also got an email from them this week around you bring your Amazon Prime membership into Whole Foods. You get a discount on your Thanksgiving turkey. Okay. But that's not what I'm recommending. I use Amazon Prime in multiple different ways. And one of the things I do is I use the reading Amazon Prime books where you can actually get access to books that you can read for free. Have you ever done that? Uh, I have actually a couple of business books when I was uh, referencing something, looking up something. So yeah, it's a good tool, right? You and by a Prime membership, you actually get access to some free books. One of the things that came along this last week, which really struck out at me, was they released the 50th edition of the Lord of the Rings book, the first volume, and it's like um, been edited, been updated. There's actually like a 50-page forward about you know the language and all the different things that they did to edit it. But anyway. I love that book. I've always loved it. I must have read it a couple times in my life. When I saw it was for free, I was like, I'm going to go check it out. And I've been reading The Lord of the Rings. That's kind of the book I'm reading now at fun at night before I go to bed. And uh, I like it. And it's free. So Amazon Prime, Lord of the Rings, Kindle version of the book. There you go. All right. So I'm going to recommend, which is probably not a huge surprise to anybody, another pen. (laughs) However, this is not my pen. I didn't come up with this idea, but I do really enjoy them. So my daughter, much like myself, is an artist and she cannot get enough. Uh, My oldest daughter, the one that's uh, not a two-year-old, she loves to draw, paint, sketch, Hole punch, glitter, glue, staple. I mean, it literally has anything to do with uh, some sort of art or craft. She wants to do it. And she got a pen because they are not inexpensive when we were at the uh, store the other day. Anyway, never heard of them before, but man, they are really cool. And it's called a, uh, the brand is Copic, C-O-P-I-C, Copic. 
They make a bunch of different types. This particular type or model, I guess, is the Copic Sketch. And so it's it's like a lot of markers that have like a tip on each end, right? So there's like a cap mm -hmm. on each end. Mm -hmm. So on one end is a chisel tip. The other end is almost like a paintbrush. Hmm. It's like a brush tip. It's really interesting to to raw to draw with or color with. Like people would swear that it's like a watercolor, you know, at times if you do it yeah. right. So they have the classic which is more like a chisel tip and a fine tip kind of a thing. But the sketch is a chisel tip and then a brush tip. And uh, they are not inexpensive. Uh, so like I said, she has, <laughs> she, has, she has one and it's like a lavender color. It's really cool. You should check it out. They make a bunch of different ones. Uh, they have some more traditional ones. They have some pens, ink, paper, airbrush system, you know, et cetera. But uh, yeah, Copic. Copic. Coping. Mm -hmm. Well, we'll link to it in the show notes. It's really cool. Great yep. suggestion, Reed. Well, we certainly, again, appreciate everybody. Appreciate the support. And as we move into the holiday season, hope everybody has uh, safe travels and uh, a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. And for this week, he is uh, Chris Boyer. I'm Reed Smith. I guess every week you're Chris Boyer and I'm Reed Smith. But in any case, we certainly appreciate the support and we will see you next time.